there are three natural states of consciousness. And we're going to refer to them in many, many different ways. And we're going to talk about all their correlative expressions so that we can talk about different qualities of those states of consciousness. And so what we're going to be doing is talking about each one of the different distinct qualities or different perspectives of the three natural states of consciousness. Now, in addition to the three natural states, I'm going to be mentioning uh, a state of consciousness called non-dual. And it's not even correct to call it a state of consciousness uh, because it is literally the suchness of everything arising with no separation. Uh, and as we go along, I'll be referring to that as well. To keep things simple, however, we're going to refer to the three natural states of consciousness as gross, subtle, and causal. And when we talk about just the discrete states of consciousness, we're going to use those terms, gross, subtle, and causal. Now, what's interesting about these three natural states is they are recognized not only in contemporary empirical science, but they've also been recognized for hundreds if not thousands of years in the wisdom traditions. And it is often spoken of as these states of consciousness as the vehicle that transitions us from different realities. In contemporary science, these are the different states of consciousness that delineate our cycle changes throughout a 24-hour day. So they're well documented, and we're going to look at all their different properties. So go ahead and follow along with the uh, handout that goes along with this with this teaching and you'll see these layout as we go along and I'll be giving you some examples and and fleshing out some of the details as we go ahead and go along so the three natural states gross subtle and causal causal is sometimes called very subtle so we're looking at states of consciousness that increase in their depth and they increase in their complexity now we have a direct experience of these states and our waking consciousness is the direct experience of the gross state. So as we experience the gross state in everyday life, we call that waking consciousness. We are awake now listening to this program, or you were awake earlier when you were uh, responding to an email that you got as something garnered your attention away from something you were focused on. All that was happening in the gross realm. Our direct experience of the subtle state shows up in dreaming or daydreaming or moments of inner looking. So the subtle state, our direct experience of that, is whenever we're not in our waking state. We go into a much more interior world and we're making sense of phenomena using our subtle senses instead of our gross senses. And our direct experience of the causal state or the very subtle state is that time in which we are asleep every night in deep sleep. So non-dreaming sleep, when we're in deep sleep, and we can't account for what happens during those hours. Our, our brain is literally offline. And if we take into account non-dual and we talk about it as a state, even though it really isn't, um, but it would be the suchness of everything arising around us. Now, if we look at the type of awareness that we have in the gross state, then what we're aware of is our physical, sensory, motor, material, here and now world. When we're in the gross state, we're making sense of the world literally through our five senses. So our brain is decoding reality based on the exterior inputs it's getting from our sensory systems. 
So we're making sense of our material here and now moment through our nervous system, through our visual system, olfactory system, our kinesthetic system of touch, hearing, all of our five senses. And when we're decoding reality through those five senses, then that's the growth state. That's what we describe as the waking state. And when we're in that state, we are bound to the physical properties of the physical universe. We're not allowed to break those laws. And everything seems very concrete and very real to us. But we have subtle realities. And the subtle realities are when we decode the world and we decode our experiences, not based on exterior inputs, but based on internally generated inputs through emotion and imagery. So what we're aware of is a luminosity or an energy, something in the subtle realm. It's very difficult to detect uh, when we're using gross consciousness, for instance. So when we pop into a dream at night, we're generating reality based on interior inputs from our lower brain centers, our primitive brain, uh, our meso-primitive brain, the, the limbic system. When we pop into a daydream, we tend to zone out or we're not really fully in touch with the exterior world. We've gone into an inner world of uh, imagination and expectation and fantasy. And this isn't to say that this world of the subtle realm, this uh, dreaming state is any less real. It's very, very real. Uh, we can account for that when we wake up from a frightening dream. We are in the fear state. Uh, if you're falling in a dream, you actually feel like you're falling. We wake up from dreams in a very intense emotional state of consciousness. Uh, people usually wake up from a dream state, if it's a night dream, uh, frightened or aroused. Uh, when we're in a daydream, for instance, we, we often feel blissful or we feel happier as we step out of the suckiness of the gross state that we wanted to leave and so we entered into the daydream. Uh, to literally feel, and, and the physiology shows this, there's a different physiological response when we're in these states. So that's the awareness of the subtle realm. And the awareness we have in the causal realm is that of formless expanse or having no boundary. It's something beyond the individual I-ness of yourself. And we often experience that as a vast emptiness or uh, an infinite body. So during the time last night when you were asleep, when you weren't dreaming, you were in deep sleep. And we don't have the brain online at that moment to report anything about the realities of what's going on around us. So we don't remember the dog barking. We don't remember the texture of the sheets. We don't remember the fluctuations of temperature in the room. We don't notice or record that there's blinking lights happening. Disturbances that might be going on in the exterior environment are not being recorded in that state of consciousness, this causal or very subtle state. We experience that as this formless expanse. You know you were in the bed, but you can't recall how you know you were in the bed. And so from a point of view of consciousness, you and the bed were merged. You and the sounds and the temperatures and the textures around you became one. You weren't able to any longer delineate where your body started and where it ended. Also time in this state of consciousness is a very flexible notion. We can be asleep for eight hours and it'll only feel like two. We wonder where did the time go? Uh, time in deep sleep is nothing like the same amount of clock time that we would experience when we're at work, for instance. And if we consider the non-dual expression, what are we aware of in the non-dual state? 
This is much akin to the direct experience of truth. Um, we're dealing with an experience where we have no delineated subject and object. It's full unity. It's the very nature of experience before we slice it up. So in those moments of the Gnostic intensive, when we are at that heightened state of direct experience of truth, this is very, very similar to non-dual suchness. Now, contemporary science measures these different states of consciousness. We can empirically measure and record these brain state changes. And we do that by measuring brainwave frequencies. Now, we're all familiar with the acronym, the EEG, the electroencephalograph. And this is placing small electrodes on the skull and detecting the very, very minute electrical changes uh, of the charges that are going off from the neurons firing at the, at the synaptic gaps. So are actually recording the brain activity, the electrical bursts that are going on in different geographical regions of the brain. So when we measure someone who's in the gross waking state, we measure a brainwave frequency from 13 to 38 cycles per second. And those are measured in Hertz. And if we see brainwave activity between 13 and 38 cycles per second, and we ask that person, what are you experiencing right now? They always say, I'm awake, I'm alert, I'm analyzing, I'm thinking. And so we have a very specific brainwave signature called a beta brainwave that reports a correlated gross waking state. Now, if we look at somebody in the subtle state, then what we find are brainwave frequencies that are lower, they're slower, the waves are getting further apart, and the peaks and the troughs are having a greater distance between them. So we're getting a slower brainwave pattern, we're having less electrical activity going on at the synapse. So there's two realms or dimensions of these states. Early or light subtle is called the alpha brainwave, and that measures anywhere between seven and 12.5 cycles per second, slower than the waking state. As that drops into a much deeper phenomena, we have late subtle, and we measure that with theta brainwave patterns, and those cycle anywhere between four and 6.5 cycles per second. But what we can say about this state is that the brainwave pattern is definitely getting slower, and we can also demarcate on the EEG when somebody drops into these states as the brainwave patterns have a very specific signature and the onset of true sleep happens right around the theta brainwave pattern. If we look at the brainwave frequency for causal, or the very subtle realm, we're looking at very, very slow, powerful brainwaves, cycling anywhere between half a second per cycle to 3.5 seconds per cycle. Very slow, profound brainwaves that we notice when people are in the deep sleep state. So if we wake somebody up from deep sleep and we see that they're showing delta wave patterns on the EEG machine, they'll report to us, I was in deep sleep. What are you doing waking me up? If we wake somebody up from an alpha or a theta state, they'll also wake up and say, oh, I was asleep. I was beginning to drop into a dream. In terms of non-dual with brain frequencies, it's a little bit tricky because it would be all frequencies at once uh, with 
suchness quality that we talked about. So it's, a, it's almost a, a moot point to talk about what the brain frequency is at that point because uh, non-dual awareness is always ever-present, actually always happening. It's just whether or not we are unified with it. So with these brainwave frequencies, this is really important because this is where contemporary science validates these different states of consciousness and that they yield different realms of reality. They, they reveal different direct experiences of our awareness. So we know then that the gross, subtle, and causal states are differentiated from each other, that they reveal different realities. And what we're looking at when we look at brainwave frequencies is we're looking at an exterior measure of these differing states of consciousness. But they're not exactly the same thing. So if I was looking at your theta patterns and I was looking at that brainwave frequency go by and I'd say, oh, look, this person's popping into a daydream. Well, I can look at that graph all day long. It'll never tell me what you're daydreaming about. Likewise, uh, if you are in your daydream and you snap out of it, you don't say, wow, that was such bitchin' theta I was experiencing. So we've got a differentiation here of the inside and the outside of a phenomena. A brainwave frequency is an exterior measure of an interior direct experience called dreaming. And that is demarcated by the subtle state of consciousness. So dreaming and theta aren't the same thing, and waking and beta aren't the same thing. They are correlative expressions that arise together from different perspectives or different dimensions of the same experience. Likewise, with delta, very slow, powerful brainwave, someone is in deep sleep, but deep sleep isn't delta, and delta isn't deep sleep. It's just that they co-arise together. Deep sleep is your direct experience of a delta brainwave frequency. A delta brainwave frequency is the exterior reality of what it's like to be in deep sleep. So these things are correlative. They're not exactly the same, and that's something we want to keep in mind as we go along. But it's important to point out that we can measure the validity of these differing states of consciousness uh, in a contemporary sense. Moving on, let's talk about the function of each one of these differing states of consciousness. So here we're talking about what are these states useful for? What do these states yield? What types of experiences can we expect if we happen to fall into one of these states or if we purposely go into these states? And what is it that these states are able to bring forth or elicit from us when we're in them? So when we look at the growth state, we're dealing with functionality of being wide awake. We're typically analyzing. We're using some sort of complex mental function and we usually have focused attention. It's what we think about when somebody says, are you conscious? And you think, yes, I'm, I'm looking, I'm processing, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And most of us have been raised to think that there's, there's sort of a premium on this kind of gross consciousness where that's the really true conscious experience. And what's interesting is that if you look at the functionality of the subtle state, you find a very interesting list. You see something that says relaxed alertness, which is a 
way of saying that uh, somebody's chill. Uh, drowsiness, vivid visualization, creativity, problem solving, insight, and uh, Zen meditation. Those qualities of the subtle realm, when I look at the list, I see that, wow, this is so much more interesting than the qualities of the gross waking state. And this plagued me for a long time. I couldn't figure out why the states are going from beta to alpha, because I know good and well that the Greek alphabet doesn't go beta alpha. I know that it goes alpha to beta. And I could never quite figure out why it was listed in that way. And it occurred to me one day in a flash of insight that the alpha state is the true natural state of the human being. Our true natural state is to be immersed in relaxed alertness, that we are most human when we are experiencing creativity or having vivid visualizations, when we are allowing our brain to incubate on a problem and then have it spontaneously arise with a full answer. And that it seems that the gross waking state is actually the altered state of consciousness because we can never hang on to that state of consciousness for very long. We try to stay focused, we try to stay analytical, and pretty soon we drift off and <laughs> we're thinking about something else. So it's very interesting that maybe what makes us most uniquely human is our subtle state capabilities. And even though we have done all the world's greatest achievements with the gross waking state, we aren't able to stay in that state very, for very long. It's actually more of an altered state than the subtle state. If we look at the functionality of the causal state, the very subtle state, we see deep, dreamless sleep, uh, expansive awareness, very, very deep meditations. This is where healing and recuperation takes place. This is where cellular repair and growth hormone is excreted in this state and, and cellular healing and rejuvenation takes place within the body. So it's in the causal state that the body is awake, repairing itself, and the actual brain is asleep. And in dreaming sleep, we have a reverse situation where the brain is very awake and the body is asleep. So in the causal state, often people will report that they aren't able to tell the difference between their body and what it's touching. They'll feel expansive and enormous. They'll have witness consciousness. They will feel very expansive, very, very deep in consciousness. And oftentimes the internal mental chatter will fall away and maybe even drop into silence. And if we mention the function of non-dual suchness, we're talking about a state of awareness where self-liberation in primordial awareness is paramount. People report a union of form and the formless. It's what is traditionally called unity consciousness or mystical union. It's a way of saying it's all actual conditions before we do something to them with our consciousness. So this is why non-dual awareness or complete awakening or satori or enlightenment is such a sought after 
state of consciousness, the complete liberation of all suffering in that moment. Now another interesting point of view we can take with these differing states of consciousness is we actually have different methods that are able to report on the realities of these states. So the gross waking state is typically investigated by sensory empiricism. That is to say that we're using our five senses or their extensions, things like microscopes and telescopes and microphones. Uh, we're using the five senses and their five extensions to report on the gross physical reality of the world. Um, if I want to find out how many moons are circling Jupiter, then I'm going to need to look through a telescope, which is an extension of my visual system, and count the moons that I see there. So I'm reporting on the reality of the world through the eye of flesh. If I want to report on the realities of the subtle realm, then I'm not able to use my five senses in the traditional way to report on what's going on in the sensory realm. So if I want to report on the realities of the subtle realm, I'm not able to use the tools that are useful in the sensory motor physical realm. I'm not able to use the eye of flesh to peer in on my mind. Um, I might be able to look at my brain with the eye of flesh. I might be able to weigh uh, the physical organ of my brain in the gross waking sense using the eye of flesh. But I'm not able to look at my mind. I can't take out my mind and, and weigh it. I can't examine a thought with a ruler or an instrument. I can't really uh, weigh how much love is. I can't put love on a scale. I can't put wonder uh, to empirical tests of the eye of flesh. But through mental empiricism, through the eye of mind, I can. It's the, it's the realm that uses symbology. It's the realm that uses visualization. So here's an easy way of understanding this. We think that mathematics is a very, very rigid and empirical modality of measuring and studying. And strangely enough, mathematics is not of the sensory empirical world. Mathematics is actually of the mental empirical world. Mathematics is a subtle science. It's actually not a gross science. How do we know that? Well, um, the moment you step out of your house today, I can guarantee that you will go your entire day and never see a number three walking down the street and you'll never have a conversation with the square root of six. And uh, <laughs> numbers don't exist in the physical sensory motor realm. They only exist in the realm of imagery and symbology. So mathematics is a science of the mind. It is a mental empiricism. Mathematics only exists within the context structures of our imaginations. It represents something in the physical world, but it doesn't, it, it points to things in the physical world, but it's not actually of the physical world. So we can use mental empiricism in a very reliable way good example that's mathematics. Psychology is another realm of mental empiricism. So oftentimes we're able to use the rich images and symbols and concepts of the mind to make sense of an interior realm 
that helps us navigate the exterior realm. And then along with that logic, we actually have a science. There is an empiricism of the causal realm, and that's contemplative empiricism, or looking at reality through the eye of spirit. So you'll see then that with the gross state, we have the eye of flesh, how we report on the realities of the gross realm. In the subtle state, we have the eye of mind. It's how we can report on the realities of the subtle realm. And in the causal realm, we have the eye of spirit, and we're able to report on the realities of this causal realm through contemplative empiricism. So what is this to say? That there is an empiricism of meditation. There is an empiricism of spiritual journeying. There is an empiricism of enlightenment techniques, of techniques of arousing and waking up consciousness. And we do that through the eye of spirit. We're able to say in almost a very scientific way, if you'd like to know the realities of the deeper reaches of human potential. These are the methods that you need to take up to do that. And so we have tools in the causal realm, meditation, harmony integration, uh, illumination intensives, uh, Zen traditions, Taoist traditions, Hindu traditions, all these different empirical methods, contemplative empiricism, ways of knowing the deeper realities of the causal realm. Another interesting dimension of our differing states of consciousness is that we have different body postures that correlate with these different states as well. So we're in the gross state. This is usually associated with a upright posture. It's easy to be upright and awake as we've all found out. It's very difficult to fall asleep while standing up. Um, Oftentimes, if we're drowsy, one of the ways to overcome that state of consciousness is to stand up and to move around. In the subtle state, this is usually associated with a seated position. This is obviously why sitting meditation is one of the most powerful, powerful uh, kinesthetic postures to enter into the realms of dreaming, emotion, imagery, luminosity, energy, light, and revelation. Um, if we'd like to relax, we tell people to have a seat. Uh, sitting meditation, like I mentioned, is the fastest way to enter into these deeper realms of consciousness. So the subtle state is often uh, associated with a sitting position. Causal is associated with the prone or lying down position. This is why when you lie down, it's very easy to fall asleep. Um, it's why lying down meditations are often difficult because it induces, it invites or elicits the sleep state. And so uh, one of the interesting things here to realize is that the posture accelerates and encourages the state of consciousness, but also the state of consciousness encourages and accelerates the different types of postures. So there's a relationship here between the state and the postures that we embody. We can look at the last two columns on the sheet together. So we're going to look at relation to source and the oneness experience and look at these uh, two columns together. So in the growth state, if we're talking about someone's oneness experience or their enlightenment experience or their relation to source, uh, 
while being firmly rooted in gross consciousness, then we find that the person's going to have a oneness or an awakening experience that is unified with their body sensations and their perceptions. They'll be in nature and having a profound moment of exaltation or wonderment. So they'll see the radiance of the sun and, uh, and have an awakening through that. Or they'll be standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon in stupor and wonder at the grand, grandiosity of the entire thing. And many, many people's enlightenment experiences throughout antiquity have been described through nature experiences or oneness with all body sensations and perceptions and nature around them. If we look at subtle state awakenings, we see that we have a oneness with all thoughts or the primary emotions and images and visualizations. And so we often refer to this as the deity experience, where somebody's experiencing oneness or an awakening with source in an I-thou relationship. So this is having a profound awakening of Christ consciousness or being spoken to uh, by a god or a deity and being chosen and, and having information bestowed upon you. Uh, this can also happen in intense relational experiences through eye gazing, for instance, and having uh, a unity experience with a, with a loved one or a partner that you're working with that takes you into a deeper realm of awakening where you understand the finer subtleties of yourself and other. And with causal, we're having a oneness experience with all existence and all secondary emotions. So secondary emotions would be joy or connectedness or peace or fullness or harmony, where we are experiencing source as a formless emptiness or a beneficent nothingness. It is the, the same type of quality that we often describe pleroma through when we look at our practices. So when we're at those highest peak moments of aspectics or deep peat or the Gnostic intensive. We're often talking about a causal awakening and usually described in formless language. Nothingness, openness, fullness. And if we look at the relation to source from a non-dual perspective, we have the at-oneness with any and all things that are arising. It's an aconceptual notion. It's you and source as the same experience where we're much more now talking about the highest point of a Gnostic intensive uh, process where somebody has a direct experience of truth. So this is a quick overview of all these differing states of consciousness. And the thing to really remember here is that all states of consciousness are temporary transient experiences. No state of consciousness has ever been permanent. We've been happy and then it faded into sadness, which faded into uh, arousal, which moved into anger, which moved into zoning out, which moved into hunger. All states of consciousness have always been fluctuating and always changing. This is also true of drug states. No drug states are ever permanent. Uh, we're under the influence of a state experience through substance and it sooner or later fades and we come back to this. So throughout a 24-hour cycle we're constantly fluctuating in and out of gross, subtle, and causal states of consciousness. We've never spent a day in our life where we didn't fluctuate in and out of these different realities. So the thing to remember here is that we experience states and we experience states 
as a fluctuation. It's a constant stream of consciousness. It's ever changing and states are never meant to stay in one place for very long. So the good news here is that if you can't concentrate for very long or you never thought that you had a good memory or you weren't quite sure what was wrong with you because you couldn't focus for long periods of time, there's nothing wrong with you at all. Um, it's just that the overwhelming nature of the gross state is that it changes, but also the overwhelming notion of the subtle state is that it changes and the causal state and so on. So all states of consciousness are temporary, all states. What we'll see in the next section as we talk about stages of consciousness is that stages of consciousness are permanent traits. And so our job is to take the transient states of consciousness and turn them into permanent traits of consciousness. And we'll be looking at the, the finer distinctions of states and stages in the next section as we go on. I'd like to take just a moment and mention uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness. We just got done investigating the three natural states of consciousness, and obviously that would infer that there must be some sort of non-natural states of consciousness. So we could say that the three natural states are the three ordinary states of consciousness, and everything else would be a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Now, traditionally for years, people have referred these, have referred to these states of consciousness as altered states. But uh, that gets a little bit sticky because in a lot of textbooks uh, and a lot of research, people refer to sleep as an altered state of consciousness. But as we just saw, sleep is a natural state of consciousness. So it's probably better language to talk about non-ordinary states. And non-ordinary states of consciousness is everything that isn't the three ordinary states of consciousness. So examples of non-ordinary states would be meditative states. Uh, drug states, hypnotic states, aha moments, moments of bliss, uh, peak experiences, uh, ecstasy states, drug states. All these different types of non-ordinary states of consciousness have to be induced. They have to take up some sort of method or form to bring them about. In other words, they don't happen naturally. They either happen because you choose to do something to bring them about, or they happen by accident. And we could look at these non-ordinary states, but there's thousands and thousands of them. And probably the most important thing to say about them is what we said just a moment ago, is that all states of consciousness, no matter whether they're ordinary or non-ordinary, are always fleeting. They're always temporal in our experience of them. None of them have ever stuck. We've been high, we had uh, the experiences of that highness, whether it be through drug states or an exalted moment of life, and we're not having it now. We've all had moments of intense fullness at the end of a harmony integration process, but then we don't have it again at another moment in time. So states are important because states allow us to train the consciousness. We just have to understand that their nature is not to stay. And so we'll be looking at stages of consciousness next, which is where we lay down the foundations of actual growth and we're able to live from and embody what we learn in states of consciousness. Source material for this presentation was inspired by and taken from the Integral Vision 